This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Good morning, I'm Noel Lim. Today on Spotlight, we look at the US-China trade war. As both countries have imposed tariffs on each other's imports amounting to billions of dollars, Goldman Sachs estimates that the trade war has shaved off 0.6% of GDP growth in the US. In China, the initial rounds of tariffs before 1st August could have reduced China's GDP by 0.4%. We speak with Gary Halfbauer, non-resident senior fellow at the Peterson Institute for International Economics in Washington, D.C. For more perspective, on what to expect to 2020 and beyond and attitudes towards the Chinese. Welcome to the show. Now, Trump has been unpredictable, but we know he wants to be re-elected next year. How do you expect he will play out this conflict? Well, much depends on the U.S. economy. Growth in the U.S. will be about 2%, whereas last year it was about 3%. The slowdown continues in the 2020. That will hurt President Trump's re-election chances. The worst thing happening to the economy uh, in the U.S. and also in the world at large is the trade war. So if the trade war gets connected with a, you know, a decisive slowdown in the U.S. economy, that will be very bad for Trump. The most obviously hurt sector is the farm sector. Now, most of these farm states are uh, strongly in favor of Trump. So even though the farmers are unhappy, they are still supporting uh, President Trump. But the trade war is now beginning to hurt industrial firms because uh, they are paying more for their components that they buy from China. And there are a lot of components that they buy from China, and it's not easy to find an alternative supplier component. So what that means is that the U.S. manufacturers who are buying these components are paying 25% more because of the tariff. Uh, That's more than their profit margins. So they're suffering, and they're beginning to complain. Well, they've already complained quietly, but they're beginning to complain more publicly. So there's more pain ahead under the uh, Trump plan for the U.S. economy. Who has the Trump card in this trade conflict? I think in the short run, the U.S. has uh, stronger cards because the impact on the U.S. economy is smaller and so far has not been fully felt, and it's probably somewhat higher on the Chinese economy. But in the long run, by which I mean if this... uh, trade uh, war goes on for five, ten years, which I think is certainly possible. Unfortunately, it's certainly possible. I think China is in a stronger position. China is a much larger uh, trader in the world economy than the U.S. right now today. And China can diversify its exports to other countries and its imports from other countries. It's uh, very advanced technologically and in, in excellent universities and can develop new new technologies. I mean, we're already at the frontier in many areas and you will become at the frontier in others. So it seems to me that if you take a period of more than five years, this trade war is going to be more harmful to the U.S. than it is to China. And our models that we build uh, to analyze the world economy may suggest that after 
after 10 years of what we have now, the kind of trade conflict we have now, you wouldn't see any notice in the Chinese economy. Do you expect any major concessions soon? Going forward, and I don't think there'll be much change. There will not be, in my view, a big settlement between now and the end of next year when we have the presidential election. I'm expecting modest concessions on either side. For example, Trump postponed the implementation date of uh, the next phase of tariffs to October 15th from October 1st, and China has reverted back to its normal tariff levels on soybeans uh, and bought some soybeans, 600,000 tons. So those are, what I would say, modest concessions. But uh, we're far from having a, a reconciliation of the uh, kind of uh, goals that the uh, Trump administration wants from China during 2020. Now, after 2020, if there's a new president, maybe the rhetoric would be different, but uh, the uh, Democratic presidential candidates, nearly all of them, not all of them, but nearly all of them have said they would keep the tariffs in place and they would just be better negotiators than than President Trump. So that doesn't sound like it would be a big change uh, in 2021. Why do you think a settlement is not possible? Is it because the issues are just too deep-rooted? Yes, they are very deep-rooted. Now, if the U.S. would trim back its objectives to what I would call more normal trade objectives, for example, uh, China just lowering all its tariffs to the level of Western countries, of Japan, of Europe, of, of the U.S., of Canada, basically lowering all its tariffs. They're not terribly high, but they could be lower. And uh, and purchasing more uh, pork and soybeans and liquefied natural gas from, from the U.S., simplifying some licensing requirements, allowing more U.S. firms into non-sensitive sectors of the economy, like banking. I mean, what's so sensitive about banking or, or offering mutual funds? Well, if the U.S. would would change its objectives to those kind of what I would call normal trade objectives, then uh, there could be a settlement. But uh, at this stage, it doesn't look like uh, President Trump and his advisors are willing to uh, willing to make that change. Are the U.S.'s concerns misplaced about China? In my mind, if China grows, the U.S. benefits too. Yeah, I completely disagree with what the Trump administration is doing and what most of the Democrats are saying. The administration's goals are will not be achieved and cannot be achieved, and the sides are wrong, uh, that uh, the U.S. could have a much more harmonious relationship with China uh, with uh, different leaders at the top of this country. But uh, whether that will happen... It remains to be seen, and I'd say right now, the outlook is not bright. Well, China has filed a complaint to the World Trade Organization. Is this likely to yield any results? Um, the WTO seems very quiet about this trade conflict. Well, the WTO as an organization really doesn't comment on trade conflicts. It really is kind of a convener, a platform for countries to meet, 
but the Secretariat rarely makes its own opinions known. It tries to be an honest broker in what uh, how often they refer to themselves. Uh, countries can obviously go to the dispute settlement body and, and bring cases against each other. Uh, there are now uh, questions as to whether the dispute settlement body, the so-called appellate body, will even be functioning after December because the U.S. is objecting to a new naming new members unless uh, several reforms are put in place. I have to agree with the reforms that the U.S. is is arguing for, but in any event, there's a there's a standoff on that. But if the Chinese complaint is heard by the appellate body, I think China will prevail. I also think if the U.S. case against China for China's retaliatory tariffs, it would win as well. In other words, none of these tariffs that have been put on in the trade war are compatible with the with the WTO commitments that both countries have made. However, uh, even if the framework were working perfectly, and it's not, you know, that would take two years at least. So that's a um, fairly long time to get a, a WTO decision. And of course, that's after the Trump's term in office unless uh, President Trump is reelected. We are speaking with Gary Halfbauer, non-resident senior fellow at the Peterson Institute for International Economics in Washington, D.C. We look at the consequences of the trade war on the U.S. presidential elections and how it is affecting Americans. I'm Noelle Lim and today on Spotlight, we speak to Gary Halfbauer, non-resident senior fellow at the Peterson Institute for International Economics in Washington, D.C. We are talking about the U.S.-China trade war. Trump says he wants a complete deal, not a partial one. He also says he does not need a deal before the elections. How true is that in relation to his chances of winning? You know, we're not going to get a complete deal. So, uh, But words to President Trump uh, can be interpreted as he wishes them. It's a little bit like Alice in Wonderland. So he could call a partial deal a complete deal, even though you and I would say, well, that's, that's far from the demands that the U.S. made. Uh, however, uh, uh, in my view, this is just one more of his uh, statements that might change in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, President Trump looks very closely at the U.S. stock market as an indicator, you know, of economic well-being in the U.S. And right now, the stock market's doing quite well. Largely, that's because of the very, very low interest rates, which we have and, and other uh, countries around the world have. Japan has negative interest rates, even so does Germany and so forth. So the low interest rates are driving up the stock market. But um, the trade war tends to drive down the stock market. If the trade war uh, looks like uh, being a stronger negative force, and the low interest rates being a positive force on the stock market, I think uh, at that point, President Trump will accept a partial deal, which he will he would then characterize as a very good victory for the United States. How do you rate his chances of being re-elected? A 50% chance of being re-elected. And in my view, uh, Democratic uh, primaries result in uh, nominating Senator Warren, 
or Senator Sanders, uh, I think uh, Trump's uh, chances go up to 60%. But if the Democrats nominate Vice President uh, Biden, then I'd, I'd say that Biden has a better than even chance, like 55%. But it will be a very, a very close race because his views and his programs are closer to what you could say uh, was the normal political agenda during the Obama administration. Of course, his temperament is much calmer than Trump's. He doesn't uh, go in for personal denunciations. But more important, he wants to make more health care available to more people, but he does not want to uh, close out uh, private health plans. Uh, that's a very important issue. He would like to have some relief for student debt, but not total relief. You know, these are these are more moderate positions than some of his opponents and seem to be more in line with what the polls say most Americans agree with. At this point, Biden seems to be more China-friendly. But if he wins, do you expect the pressure will be taken off China or there may be some continuation of the conflict with China? There will be a continuation of the conflict. This is deeper than either, you know, President Trump. There was there were elements of conflict even during the George W. Bush administration and the Obama administration, uh, but it was tamped down. But those elements will still be there. There'll still be the controversy between the U.S. and China. However, what I see as possible in a Biden administration is more of a focus on what I call the normal, the conventional trade issues, uh, the barriers in China to to U.S. exports, that kind of thing. Uh, that that seems could be more of a focus uh, in a uh, in a Biden administration. The U.S.-China conflict has become a political one, and like you mentioned, since yes. George W. Bush, and obviously this is going to carry on beyond Trump's tenure as president. So, how has this affected American society? Do you sense more distrust towards the Chinese? Yeah, that's a good question. I'm sure I'm older than you are, and I'm older than most Americans, which means that uh, as a boy, I can remember the Second World War, and I certainly remember the Cold War with the Soviet Union. And there are elements of those two wars which are unfortunately beginning to reappear both in the United States and in China. So let me first talk about China. They're reviving That is, the Chinese uh, leaders are using the state-controlled media, which is all television plus the the newspapers, to revive memories of how the Western powers um, oppressed China more than 100 years ago. I mean, this is, you know, 160, 170 years ago, a long time ago, creating a sense of hostility to the United States which is very common now in China. But amongst ordinary Chinese, uh, there's quite a bit of uh, feeling that the U.S. is oppressing China. To me, that reminds me of exactly what happened in the, uh, obviously in the, in the Second World War. I mean, the U.S. had a deep hatred 
of the Japanese and of the Germans, and they, I'm sure, had a deep hatred of the U.S. Very pervasive. But if we go to the to the Cold War with the Soviet Union, which lasted from uh, really from the 1950s to 1990, hostile attitude in the United States towards towards the Soviet Union and particularly towards Russia. And likewise, in Russia, there was a hostile attitude towards the United States, which is shown in the press and so forth, uh, viewing Americans as being all racist, monopolists, you know, the workers were oppressed, and on and on and on. Today, we're getting that same kind of view spreading in both countries. And in the United States today, unfortunately, a great many Americans think that China is responsible for problems in the American society, which is just, it's just, it makes no sense. But I live in, in New Mexico, which is a remote state, uh, and I live in a remote part of, of, of this state. And, you know, you don't see any Chinese here, and uh, it's not a, there's no jobs lost because of imports from China, nothing like that. Nevertheless, I hear statements which are anti-Chinese in this community where I live, and more broadly, I see it in California and Washington State, which tend to be more liberal, and I see it in the Midwest and so on. That's how a Cold War gets going in a society. And once the people in both countries begin to adopt this antagonistic view towards the other country, it it's very hard to remove. It's very hard to remove. Now, gradually, you can improve things with, let's say, art exhibits, musical tours, ping pong and basketball matches, and that kind of thing, sports, and 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 gradually change the views. But it's not it's not at all easy, and that's unfortunately where we are right now. The rhetoric and the belief in society is getting more hostile to the other country in, in both in uh, both in China and in the United States. That's really unfortunate. It took decades to reduce the hostilities, for example, towards the Japanese. Nowadays, Japan is looked on very favorably in the United States. Uh, Japanese restaurants are all over. Uh, Japanese people are much admired. And I think vice versa, Japan... United States, but you know, it was a long time since the Second World War, two generations almost. It can be improved, but it, but I guess my emphasis is that it's at least a, from where we are now, to get back to the warmth of relations that existed when President Clinton was in office or President uh, George W. Bush or President Obama, I think is a 10-year project. It would take 10 years of, of good exchanges and so forth between the countries to get back to that kind of, what I would call friendly, at least uh, not, not seeing each other as, as enemies. But unfortunately, what's happening is that visas are getting more difficult for Chinese students to study in the U.S. and probably vice versa in China and fewer exchanges of professors and so forth. So we're going, in my view, in the wrong direction.
Well, on this note, I wish us all the best. It was a pleasure speaking with you and thank you for your time. Gary Halfbauer, Non-Resident Senior Fellow at the Peterson Institute for International Economics, Washington, D.C. Next week, we'll speak with Kelvin Cheng of ISIS on the impact of the trade war on Malaysia. I'm Noel Lim on Spotlight, BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.